This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. To the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Forget leaves changing. Channels are changing because fall TV season is here and it's episode 232 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Pumped up because it's one of my favorite times of year when favorite shows come back and new shows come out fall tv and you know that we've been known to have you covered here on the down and nerdy podcast matter of fact how about we start things off with manifest from nbc the big sci-fi drama that's going to be coming monday night at 10 o'clock eastern you're going to be talking to melissa roxburgh and jr ramirez about what's going on the show maybe a little bit about the love triangle that's going on there but they are going to get us ready for the big Manifest premiere. We're going to have so much more fall TV stuff. There's a ton of Marvel news this week we're going to have to get to, but you know we're always starting off with the comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Make sure the laptop is charged up. The tablet, too. You don't need to charge the long box, though. You just pull the books out of that. Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and I had to start with the DC Black Label title. That's right, the new, I guess you could call it adult imprint. Not that comics aren't for adults anyway, no matter what the age group is. But this is the mature imprint, let's call it that. It's Batman Damned, number one from DC Black Label. Brian Azzarello does the writing on this one. Lee Bermejo does the art. And Jared K. Fletcher on the letters. Now, basically, this is going to be hard not to spoil, but I'm going to do my best here, so... Always do spoiler-free reviews of comics, but this one actually from the description. Now, the Joker is dead in this book, and the book kind of deals with the investigation of who murdered him. Now, Batman can't remember anything, so 
John Constantine kind of gets involved at this point. I wouldn't necessarily say that Batman asks for his help. Maybe it was more the other way around where Constantine just sort of shows up and decides to help. Anyway, I'll let you be the judge when you read the book.Ually, one of the cool things is, is that Constantine's actually the narrator of this book as well. Now, we get to see Batman really struggle with trying to figure out what is going on and what part he may have played in the Joker's death throughout this book. And the book starts out really, really intense and pretty much never lets up from the from that starting point. It's pretty much intense throughout, and it really, really grabbed me the entire time I was reading it. I mean, I read so many comics that sometimes it's hard to get locked in to a story, but this one really had my undivided attention. I wasn't looking away. I wasn't checking my phone. I, would, I couldn't stop reading this book. Now, we do see... A few other familiar characters from, I'll say, the Justice League Dark World. If you want to call it the Dark Universe of DC, you can call it whatever you want to call it. And one in particular that makes an interesting appearance in the flashbacks. There are flashbacks in in this book. I will not go into any more detail than that, but very, very intrigued to see what kind of a role this character might play in future issues. Now, other, other characters do play a role in this story. But this very much is a Batman slash Bruce Wayne story throughout. Yes, Constantine plays his role, and there's other characters that you recognize as well. But it's so centered and focused on Batman and Bruce Wayne, which, I mean, it should be. It's a Batman book, but this one really, really is on an ultra-personal level, I think. I mean, a crime that's been committed towards the end of the book, as, as a matter of fact, is not only raises more questions, but really ups the ante of where the story might be going. And given the players involved, it wouldn't be too shocking to draw a conclusion at the end of this book. That That is all I can really say without spoiling anything. And believe me, I would love to because there was just so much going on here that I would love to talk about. Maybe we'll have to get Brian Azzarello on to talk about it because it was just that good. Speaking of that good, the art in this book, maybe some of the best art I have ever seen in a Batman book. And I know that that is not, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating when I say this. Lee Bermejo's art is absolutely fantastic in this book. And one of the reasons that I loved it so much, I mean, everything about this book grabbed me and refused to let me go. But the art, I was so just taken by every single page I can't even say panel because it's almost like this book didn't have any panels and I I mean it kind of does obviously but I didn't feel that way I felt like everything just came together so well that my mind wasn't focused on that and and believe me that is a compliment I really expected to like this book I thought I'd love the book what I didn't what I didn't think was I would come out of this thinking man I have to have the second issue right now. And when there are so many Batman books out and Tom King still does a fantastic job with the main run. And and I think that will still be my top Batman book until somebody else can prove me otherwise. But this one is as close as anyone has gotten since Tom King took over Batman. This one is right up there for me. I hope you love it too. This is a pull for me. If you haven't read it yet, you're going to want to get Batman damned. Number one, this is a book that if you miss it, you will be sorry that you missed it. I don't say that very often. I don't say that ever. Go back to past shows and listen to my reviews. I never say that. 
You will be sorry if you missed this book. Trust me on that. This is one that if you've heard, you've heard me whining on this show before, literally whining about not having anything Dick Tracy related. No TV series, no movies, you're rebooting everything else. You give me no Dick Tracy. Well, IDW says, hold my beer. I've got you covered. Dick Tracy, dead or alive, number one from IDW is finally here. Okay, so Lee and Michael Allred do the writing. Rich Tommaso on the pencils. Michael Allred also taking care of the inks. Laura Allred on the colors. And Sean Lee on the letters. Now, Tracy's cleaning up corruption basically wherever he goes, or at least he's trying to. Now, that really doesn't seem to be working out because he's kind of looking for another job at this point. And meanwhile, Big Boy's off doing his own thing, and he's hatching a plan after a governor's kind of elected where Big Boy is that might kind of loosen his grip on the city. So he's kind of setting things in motion for an elaborate ruse to fool the public and be able to keep doing what he's doing. That's the gist of what's going on in the book. Now, the execution of that is the meat of the story, and I will not spoil exactly how that goes. Now, the story and the art itself felt very, very old school. It was really like a long-form comic strip, which when you're talking about Dick Tracy, I really, really dig that. Even the dialogue had some old-school stuff. I knew I I reviewed a book a couple of weeks ago that had some old-school dialogue as well, and I said that it felt forced. This did not feel forced. It just felt very, very natural in, in, in keeping up with a Dick Tracy story. Now, Tracy definitely has an edge to him. In this book, which I really like, you know, really brash, really confident. This is not really your Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy that you remember from the movie. This was very Judge Dread-like, actually. This was a Dread-like Dick Tracy, which I kind of thought was really, really cool. But you still have that, you know, not that Judge Dread doesn't focus on this, but, you know, the the letter of the law, Dick Tracy, but also the loose cannon, Dick Tracy, at the same time, who says, you know, there's nothing that is above the law sort of thing. So, again, the attitude and that kind of made me kind of drift towards Judge Dredd a little bit. So I thought that that was a really, really neat take on the character. Not that it hasn't been done to a certain extent before, but I thought that it was really cool to do that here. The spirit of the character of Dick Tracy is really, really captured here. But the story was a little bit all over the place in this particular book. If I did have one criticism, I would say that that things kind of jumped around a little bit, and at times it did feel a little bit rushed. Now, it is a five-issue limited series. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. So maybe that's the reason they felt like they needed to rush things a little bit. It could be that the first issue was just a bit rushed, and then things are going to start to become clearer in the second issue. You definitely see a path of where the story is probably going to be going, and it feels like this first issue might have just been a setup for that, So I'm kind of hoping that that is the case. But because the spirit of Dick Tracy himself is captured really, really well in this first issue, it's definitely enough to make me want to continue. And I could certainly change my opinion on this book as it goes forward. So this isn't a pull for me yet. I'm going to give this a pickup. I'll give this another issue, maybe two, since it is limited series, to see how things move along a little bit. But I do love the nostalgic art. I did like the how they captured the spirit of the character. You do get to see some familiar faces in there, but it's not just cameo after cameo sort of thing. So I think this book is being done right. I just feel like the first issue was rushed just a little bit. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, it's time to dive into more fall TV. It's This Week in Geektainment. More interviews next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tim Rozon from Winona Earth. 
on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Getting you ready for the fall TV season of 2018 slash 2019. And I got a chance to sit down with the cast and producers of Magnum P.I., the reboot that's going to be coming to CBS on Monday, September the 24th. So that's coming up really, really soon. And I know you're probably going to say, you know, what's that have to do with nerd stuff? And, you know, they were at Comic-Con. So we're going to check it out and we're going to give it a shot. As a matter of fact, we're going to start out with executive producers Peter M. Linkov and Eric Guggenheim. And the first question that was asked to those guys was, how do you approach a show with so much history when you do a reboot like this? First of all, we're huge fans of Magnum, so the last thing we wanted to do is mess it up. So, you know, with, with, with this version of the show, we wanted to honor, you know, the original series, but at the same time, you know, kind of push it forward. So, you know, our, our sort of uh, MO was to take the DNA of the original show Add you know little you know you know a few extra elements uh, making uh, Higgins for example a woman and changing the dynamic between Magnum and Higgins we felt was one way to kind of separate it from the original show but we have nothing but you know uh, enormous respect for the original series and uh, like I said last thing we want to do is mess it up after that my question to the guys was what was the biggest difference between this new Magnum by Jane Hernandez and the original Magnum from Tom Selleck you talked about uh, Jay's version of Magnum being different. What would you say is the biggest difference character-wise between this version of Magnum and the Last question. The, that's an interesting question. Yeah. What's the biggest difference? Um... It's almost like hard to, to put into words. He, uh, you know, he just has, I guess, a different presence. You know, he's he's charismatic in the way that Selleck was. He fits was. into the Ferrari. Yeah, that's he does. Nice. That you know, Tom's head always went above the windshield. You know, yeah. Yeah. Jay fits just perfectly. It's almost like a car was built for him. Um, but there's a lot of differences. But I think you know, the thing that they have in common is the charm. Yeah, that's what we were looking for. Is somebody who had an easy presence. Somebody who you could believe. You know, look, the fun about Magnum, in the original Magnum was you had this six foot two, very sort of like like the ideal hero getting beat up on a regular basis. Um, when it happens to Jay, it's I, I, I find it very believable because Jay is like, you know, I know he's super handsome, but he is an everyman. And that's um, that's the thing that the two have in common also. Speaking of Magnum, Jay Hernandez sat down next with Perdita Weeks, who's going to be playing Higgins on the show. The first question was to Jay, as a matter of fact, and it was, what are you doing to make your character different? One of the main things is like the mustache. It was a decision, you know, a creative decision to not go that direction because the last thing we wanted to do was try to replace Tom Selleck, which is like, sorry, like, uh, we just want to find somebody who is just like him. Obviously, with the casting choice, it's it's a different direction. Um, but we also wanted to sort of like capture the essence of the character and what worked and, and that charm and charisma. I think and Cheekier. Yeah, yeah. No, I like I like the cheeky aspect. Yeah, of it. I yeah. do. I think he's a cheekier magnet, which is like I don't know. It's, it's more I don't know relatable in a way. I don't know. And I, I love the fact, and this kind of was in the uh, was in the original. He he gets his ass kicked. You know what I mean? Like he's 
in so many of these things, especially like action-based uh, uh, films or television uh, shows, they, they always win. Everything, yeah. They're always winners in everything they do. And you get to see this guy be like a, an everyman, you know? He gets his butt kicked, he's kind of broke, he asks totally for favor, favors, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it sort of humanizes him yeah, and makes him very approachable, which the, I love. He's kind of the underdog, but yeah. like totally not ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, like, it's great. It's just like, he's, this is his And I gotta win her over, that's my, that's my, that's my goal, and it's probably gonna take 10 years to do that. Next up, the question was, you know, with Higgins being a woman, is there a chance for a romance between her and Magnum at some point? Well, I think, you know, any any friendship between a man and a woman, you know, there's all, it's, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's kind of a really interesting uh, added angle. And obviously there's, there's still the original kind of tension and friction between the two because they just have very different MOs and, uh, you know, everything, the way that he does everything is anathema to the way that Higgins would like, you know, her world to run. But at the same time, she being ex-services herself, has a respect for his service to his country and his history and and uh, and he you know realizes that he is at heart a very good person whether or not she likes the way that he operates. I think you you reluctantly uh, um, find that out. I think was it the first episode? Yeah. She's like, oh, he's a human. He's like yeah, actually yeah. He's not a nice not guy. He's got a personality. Bomb, yeah. Like waste of space. <laughs> Getting wasted and like woman. Yeah. No. Yeah. Womanizing. Exactly. <laughs> and also. Oh no, and I think Higgins is also, you know, in a little way, a little bit lost herself and kind of looking for yeah. a connection to a family. Which, which we all are, sort yeah, of. Yeah, everyone is kind yeah. of adrift slightly. A bit. Somebody had to ask this question, of course. Now, it was asked to Jay, did Tom Selling give his blessing for this new version of the show? The, the producers essentially wanted to make sure that, you know, that he understood that they weren't just purely trying to capitalize off his success, and they wanted sort of his blessing, and uh, he gave that to us, to him, so we, we feel very thankful about that. So as long as he's on board, I think we're in good shape. I knew we were in for some fun when Stephen Hill sat down to talk about TC, and the first question to him was, with the show being about veterans coming home, what kind of research did the cast do to help them prepare for the show? And this is what they did. We've been hanging out at Pearl Harbor. Uh, I've been there four times in the last two weeks. Um, so I've, we've been on uh, USS Hawaii, which is a nuclear submarine. We've gone 650 feet deep, and we've kind of learned all about the submarine. We've been on an aircraft carrier. We've had a private tour of uh, Pearl Harbor. I've sat in a couple of choppers and actually talked to pilots. So we're all doing like some pretty extensive research and then my father he was in uh, Vietnam and he was a helicopter mechanic in the Air Force and he also played basketball for the Air Force yeah yeah, yeah I talked to him as well. and I've done um, maybe about three four years ago I did a training video for the army and I play a it's me and David Morse in it I don't know if you guys know David Morse um, but uh, I'm, I'm actually the lead and I play Sergeant Garrett and it's all about helping soldiers deal with PTSD and so I'm really excited to, for some of the soldiers to actually see that you know like I, there's a friend of mine that I went to college with at Hampton University he recently sent me photos because he was teaching a class and the material they gave him to teach was me on the on the uh, the film so 
I want uh, soldiers to be able to say, oh, TC is actually the guy from the training video. You know what I mean? So Finally, my question to Steven was, was there anything that you wanted to do differently with the character of TC in this reboot? Was there anything that you really wanted to do differently with the character? Because this is a reboot. You talk many times about how you don't want to be exactly the same. What yeah. did you want to do a little bit differently? Well, um, I remember seeing the original show, and I, I recently bought the first season. Um, I didn't buy the whole set because I just want to watch a little bit of it and get right, the right. feel of it. Um, and, you know, the fans will keep you on your toes. You know, a lot of the old fans, they tag me and stuff all the time of old TC, what he was wearing and, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm just trying to, like, like he wore a lot of sweatsuits. And I, and I re relayed that back. And I said, hey, you know, I think it would be cool, but just, like, more modern take on it. Right. Um, so in terms of just wardrobe, you know, I'll take little bits and pieces. You know, he was known as the King of Lids or the King of Hats because yeah. he wore a hat all the time. Um, I'll probably do a lot of that. Uh, and then I'll represent little Easter eggs with the hat. Like, it might not be stuff that you know, but I want to wear like a Willingboro. I went to high school in uh, Willingboro, New Jersey. So I would wear like a Willingboro Chimeras hat or like a hat that says Chimeras. And then only people from my high school would know, but it would be an Easter egg. You know, I went to Hampton. University, so I might wear a pirate's hat because we were the Hampton Pirates, you know, that sort of thing. Right down the street from yeah, Wildwood, yeah. actually. But in, oh, yeah? Oh, oh that's, that's my man. Exactly. Now, you've probably gotten a chance to see the trailer. Maybe you've gotten a chance to see the first episode already. Maybe you're listening to this after the show premiered on Monday, September the 24th. And it definitely seems like there's a ton of action. And a lot of the things that the cast were talking about is that, you know, Magnum gets his ass kicked from 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 time to time. And there's, you know, interesting dynamics and relationships. And it's, an, it's a positive portrayal of veterans coming home. A lot of times that's a dark story. This is going to be a more positive sense. So you get to get that private investigator vibe. You get to get that, you know, veterans coming home vibe. And you get a lot of the action that comes along with that. And I mean, you think about what's going on in comics right now, you can kind of weave those things in and tell yourself a story that does relate to the comic book audience. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to put the show on here and talk about this show because, you know, it certainly could relate and maybe it's something that you end up digging. So let me know what you think of the first episode of Magnum PI when you see it on Monday, September the 24th. Let me know at Dan and Nerdy 757. Tweet us and let, you, let us know what you think about it. That's going to do it for this week in Geektainment and my interviews with the Magnum PI cast and producers up next. Boy, do we have a ton of nerd news to get to. So we'll do it on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm writer Margaret Scott, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to crash into a blockbuster and punch old ladies in the face because it's time for nerd news. You know why I'm saying that, right? Because the first thing I'm going to talk about, of course, is the Captain Marvel trailer that came out on Good Morning America this past week. Of course, you know Captain Marvel going to be hitting theaters on March the 8th, 2019. I'll get to the whole punch old ladies in the face thing for just a second. Let me talk about the trailer, though. We finally, you definitely get to see some shots of her days as a pilot, even some shots of her childhood flashbacks, and she's even saying, I don't know if these memories are real or not sort of thing. Now, here's the deal. We, we were told this wasn't going to be an 
origin type movie, right? And even though I guess it's still not, there's still some kind of winks and nods to a, sort of an origin story. I mean, I guess you can't not do that entirely, but you know, don't tell me it's not going to be an origin story movie and then do this kind of stuff. A- anyway, again, one trailer. I'll get to that in a second too. There are plenty of fan service moments in the trailer too. Like we had the helmet with the mohawk and yeah, that was really cool. We get to see her power up a few times, but you know, I still don't feel like this really showcased what she's capable of. And, and again, I'm not a proponent of giving away the farm in a trailer. You know that I, I'm, you got to hold some stuff back, but I mean, other than her hanging around with the two eyed Nick Fury, which still is kind of weird for me, we really don't get much of a feel for what the plot is going to be at all. I mean, yes, we do get a quick look at some scrolls, but nothing really new outside of the first look photos that we got. So, I mean, yeah, it's cool that this is coming. Don't get me wrong, and I understand the excitement to finally see Captain Marvel on the big screen, but I don't understand the excitement that's surrounding this trailer. Is the excitement really because we're finally getting to see it, and maybe this is, I guess, confirmation that it's happening, not that it wasn't happening anyway? I I just don't get why fans seem to be losing their minds over this trailer, and I'm not saying it's bad, and I'm not saying that this movie is going to suck or anything like that because I, how could I possibly say that from one trailer? I still think it's going to be a great movie and I can't wait for it. But what I don't understand is there was nothing in this trailer that really, you know, knocked me out like chilling adventures of Sabrina, that trailer, there was just so much there. And yeah, we, we didn't get a whole lot of the plot there either, but there was just so much there. And you, you showed me so many different things that are going to be happening. And while you kind of tried to do that, in this trailer, I really don't feel like I got a sense of what was going on and what was going to be happening here other than, you know, stuff that's leaked out here and there online. So I don't get why everybody's losing their mind over this trailer. I am losing my mind over the fact that we're finally getting Captain Marvel on the big screen. But this trailer is just okay for me. It's It doesn't change my opinion on really, really wanting to see this movie. But but again, I don't think that it it's a trailer that would change anybody's mind it was on the fence either. Just my thoughts. I still can't wait for it. Marvel wasn't done there, though. It's a big week for Marvel, actually, for announcements. Apparently, according to Variety, we are going to be getting some Marvel Cinematic Universe TV series on the Disney streaming service, specifically Loki and Scarlet Witch were the two that were mentioned. Now, nothing is confirmed. Of course, Disney and Marvel aren't com- commenting on this. But Variety, what they talked about was that these would be limited series based on characters who've yet to get their own solo movies in the MCU. And the difference here is is that Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen would be expected to reprise their roles as Loki and Scarlet Witch, as would anyone else who would follow suit for these limited series. Now, despite the big budgets of these series that that they're expected to get, and, you know, how could they not? Apparently, the same source says the Disney streaming service is trying to launch at a price That's less than Netflix, which I never would have thought in a million years. I would have thought for sure this Disney streaming service is going to be at least $15 a month, as high as $25 a month, because Disney tends to charge a little more because they feel like they can on most things. And I totally understand that. So, I mean, you you remember they've already got a Star Wars series that they've announced for the streaming service. And And I think that it's interesting that... The point was made that these limited series would be a part of Marvel Studios 
not Marvel TV. So I, I guess if you you know you want to keep your your characters close to the vest a little bit, but if it is truly all connected, why can't we all play nice together? Is my question. Do they not have enough faith in what Marvel TV has done? so far to take care of these characters or is it a budget thing i'm sure there's a reason for this and i don't necessarily disagree with them doing it that way but i just think it's interesting that that distinction was made at least in these rumors anyway this is nothing is confirmed here so when this is announced and if it's announced that could completely change things but this really opens the door and it takes a lot of pressure off of the mcu if you think about it because there are fans saying, oh, I'd love to see this person get their own movie and that person get their own movie, and you never know if it's really going to happen. Now this takes the pressure off because then Marvel can say, oh, look, we're going to give them one of these limited series on the streaming service. That's cool, right? And you know me. I love I love series. I think six to eight episodes is great. You don't necessarily need a ton of episodes to tell a great story. Look what Iron Fist did by cutting episodes in season two. They ended up being better off for it, I think. I thought season two of Iron Fist was one of the biggest improvements of a show from season one to season two ever. So you don't need a ton of episodes, even though you might want to, because you want to see more of these characters. I understand that, but you don't need a ton of episodes. And this just opens the door for almost anyone to continue on into their own story and might fix a problem that Marvel's going to be having with Guardians of the Galaxy soon, with all this stuff going on with James Gunn, maybe instead of continuing on and doing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, maybe you do a Rocket and Groot limited series on the Disney streaming service. Then you don't really need to worry about who's coming back and who's not. Or, you know, P- Peter Quill, that's all also an option. Anything after Avengers 4 and once they tie that all together, there are options that you could do here. You can even do prequel series. I don't think anything's really off the table with this. So I think that this is a great move if this is actually something that's going to happen. Great move by Marvel. And Disney certainly has the money to take a gamble on something like this. And I think they'll recoup some of that with the streaming service anyway. I think pretty much everybody is going to be getting this streaming service. So that will help. I mean, that helped Netflix once more subscribers jumped on. And yeah, they raised the price a little bit. They were able to do more. And I will get to a series that Netflix is going to be doing in just a second. But I want to stick with Marvel TV because Deadline also had another report. Marvel TV was not done this week. Apparently a Marvel series based on female superheroes is going to be happening at ABC. Now, ABC has given a production commitment to an hour-long drama. And Alan Heinberg, who of course wrote Wonder Woman, is going to be writing this series and will also serve as executive producer along with Jeff Loeb. Of course, he has to be involved. So, apparently this will probably focus on lesser-known characters. And they also seem committed to sticking with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. despite the poor ratings and the move to the summer and time slots and all that stuff because the bigwigs at ABC still think that, you know, they're telling good stories on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe you think so, maybe you don't think so. So this wouldn't necessarily be a replacement for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but what this could be is the end of that New Warriors series with Squirrel Girl and all these other things. And, you know, we've got Marvel Rising Secret Warriors, that animated movie and, and animated series coming up. Or I Right now, it's just an animated movie. Beyond that, we don't really know what's going on with Marvel Rising. So I should correct myself there. But there, there was supposed to be that New Warriors live-action series, remember, that was going to be happening on Freeform, and then suddenly they decided not to air it there. It's looking for a new home. So could this be a good place for Squirrel Girl and, and maybe a few other female heroes to to do to get a series of their own and maybe do it this way could this also be a good place for the fearless defenders but i mean 
you're not really going to probably have Valkyrie. And you're probably not going to have Misty Knight. So I don't know how realistic that is. You'd have to probably probably focus on different characters or just call them the fearless defenders and use and do whatever you want because it seems like Marvel kind of has free reign to do that right now. So I don't know if that would be realistic. There's certainly enough female heroes to choose from. Maybe this is a good way to get get She-Hulk on TV. I think that that would be really, really cool. Obviously, there's a lot of options of characters, and I'm not just going to sit here and rattle off names of characters that could be on on this show, but... I think it's a good move. I think Marvel TV, they were looking for something new. They were looking for something different to do other than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The Agent Carter thing, that's never going to come back, I don't think. So why not give this a shot and see how it goes? And, I mean, ABC has already built a pretty good female audience anyway. So I think this this could really work. And if anything ever did happen to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then you've got a place for Agent May to go. and You've got a place for Daisy Johnson to go, potentially, on this new series, maybe you just migrate them over there. So you're you're definitely covering all your bases here if you're Marvel. But, I mean, you still have to go back to Inhumans and think about that, how that turned out. So nothing is a sure thing until we get to see that first episode. Because even trailers might not tell the whole story. Here's something I don't think anyone expected to hear about this week. And this was according to multiple sources and then confirmed on the NX Twitter, which, by the way, just randomly replaced the Defenders account. So there goes that hope for a second season, right? Now, back to the main point here, though. Avatar The Last Airbender is coming back. It's going to be live action, and it's going to be on Netflix. Now, co-creators Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konzienko, and I, yeah, I butchered that name for sure. Sorry about that. So they're both signed on. To this, So they are going to be overseeing it. They will be a part of it. You always feel good when you've got the co-creators of a character that are going to be involved. There will be an emphasis, by the way, they put out this statement on the cast being, quote, culturally appropriate, which is completely opposite of what the 2010 movie was. So that's absolutely some good news there. Beyond that, I mean, there was a faraway piece of concept art that did look really, really neat. And there were no really more details to share on this. Obviously, Netflix somehow manages to keep all of their announcements under wraps. Have you noticed that? And it always adds to that surprise factor. Like when we found out about Castlevania buried in a press release. Or when we find out that Castlevania was being renewed. And all of these other series that were happening from Netflix. They just find a way to keep their stuff under wraps until they're ready to get it released. And then it just comes out of nowhere and everybody's super excited about it. That happened with Shira too, when they announced the Shira series. It was just kind of randomly there. So they, they seem to be almost leak-free at Netflix, and this is one that, that fans have been waiting for and clamoring for. And I think that the, if it could work anywhere, it's going to work on Netflix, and I really think Netflix will throw everything they have at this because, I mean, you got to be able to yip-yip, right? You, you, you just do. And, and this is something that could be just visually stunning, and Netflix seems to at least have the market cornered on that as far as streaming services are concerned. One more little piece of news, and there was a lot of it this week, but I didn't want to let you go before I talked about Sony announcing the PlayStation 1, the PS1 Classic. That's right, Nintendo's doing it, Sega's doing it, so why not join in? Now, this one's going to include 20 games. The five that are announced so far, Final Fantasy VII, Jumping Flash, Rigid Racer Type 4, Tekken 3, and Wild Arms. Now, it will come with two controllers, but we'll still only have that USB power that the SNES Classic has. I know that some of you hate that 
and I understand I hey, I've got USB slots on my TV. I'm good to go there. So I I guess I don't really mind it so much. You could also get power strips with USB outlets in them too, just saying. Now, the price point I think is interesting though. Because remember, you're getting 20 games. We only know about five of them so far. It's $99.99. And this will come out, of course, right around the holidays, December 3rd. Now, fans seem to be pretty upset about the price point, And I understand that. But we again, we don't really have a whole lot of details on this. We don't know what some of the other games are going to be. As a matter of fact, I wanted to point out a comment that was on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down and nerdy, from Stephanie Stephanie, where she said, about damn time. And, you know, I so I reached out and I asked her, I said, you know, how do you feel about the price? And she said she didn't mind the price point, but she would only she would probably only buy this as a collectible, which I thought was interesting. And I mean, once they've got your money, I guess they don't care why you're buying it. But and, and she makes a point that, you know, you could go out and probably buy a retro console for cheaper. But, you know, you, maybe you don't still have the games left. I still have my PlayStation and my PlayStation 1 games. Because I'm a lunatic and I never get rid of any of my consoles. I have them all. I have my NES, I have my SNES, and I still went and bought the Classic. Because it had games on there that I didn't have. And at the price point that that was at, it was worth it to me to get it for the games that were on there. Plus, anything that has Earthbound on it, I'm getting, period. And maybe that's how you feel about Final Fantasy VII. But is Final Fantasy enough of a selling point for you to buy this console almost just for that? You're not going to buy it for just one game. I understand that. But is that going to be the number one game up there that makes you go, even if the rest of them aren't that great, at least I'm getting Final Fantasy VII, so I'm cool with that, and I'll take the rest. Don't you have to have Crash on here? And if you were going to, why wouldn't you announce that? Why wouldn't you announce that Crash Bandicoot was going to be a part of this? So I have a little bit of hesitation that you wouldn't come with a lead title like that other than Final Fantasy, and I'm wondering if the other titles are going to be a little bit weak. But again, you can't really tell... And maybe Sony wants to have every announcement they make, they want it to make a splash. Maybe they're going to release these five games at a time, and every time they do, there's going to be a marquee title that's going to be right there. Because I felt like the SNES Classic was stacked. I thought the NES Classic did very, very well, too. So I feel like if you're going to do this, and Sony doesn't do anything without doing it right, it seems like. Every PlayStation console that's come out after the older one before it has made a huge splash, and has been worth buying over the older console. So if you're Sony and you waited in the weeds for everybody else to do this before you, then you've got a plan and you know you'll be able to get people to spend that $100 price point. I'm just interested to see exactly what that's going to be. And if we're going to be incorporating save states, is there going to be some sort of an expandable memory at some point where you can add more games or even purchase more games digitally? Are you going to be able to put an SD card in there to store that? There are a lot of little factors here that could come in that could be announced later on that could really, really play a big role in whether or not gamers are willing to spend those extra few bucks for a PlayStation 1 Classic. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, we're going to hop a flight with the crew of Manifest. That's right, Melissa Roxburgh and J.R. Ramirez going to be chatting with them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Spotify from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Our most anticipated show of the fall 2018 season has got to be manifest on NBC, and very happy to be talking to two... This is two very important pieces of that puzzle right here, too. It's Melissa Roxburgh and J.R. Ramirez. How's it going? It's going great. Fantastic. Thank you for having us. 
Well, I mean, there's a lot of excitement. As a matter of fact, leading up to the premiere, the show seems to keep drawing comparisons to Lost everywhere we look now. But I feel like Manifest tells a much more personal story. So how do you feel like the show separates itself from other similar shows? You know, yeah, we've been getting a lot of Lost comparisons, and we're really, really grateful um, to be compared to a show that did so well and went so long. Um, And it does have that similar airplane mystery um, element to it. Um, what, what our show does differently is on top of that, it also, um, you know, Jeff did a really good job of grounding this mystery in human relationships and not just human relationships, human relationships that are relatable and really real. Um, yeah, these, these people aren't one note, they're dynamic and they're flawed and they make mistakes. And, um, you know, just for me, uh, to watch that on screen, um, in a show, it means a lot because, People are flawed. They don't. They aren't perfect. Um, and so that's what I liked about his writing. Now, Melissa, I, I think for you especially, I feel like Michaela may have the most to deal with emotionally in this first episode alone. So without spoiling anything, talk about how you feel like she's dealing with everything that's thrown at her in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, for sure. We, we meet Michaela at her most fragile moment. Um, she's had a past. Um, and we get to discover that she's accidentally killed her best friend in a drunk driving accident. Um, she comes back to discover Jared, her boyfriend, her kind of like one and only true rock, has well, moved on. She didn't say yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. she, 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 she made me wait. So I don't know. <laughs> so he's moved on and her mom has passed away. So we really do meet her at rock bottom. Um, but in dealing with that, I think the only way that she can move on is to go up from there. Um, we get to see her re- rebuild herself and, um, you know, get to do that through this mystery. Now, speaking of Jared, Jr., I mean, you kind of are on the other side of this whole thing, trying to process what's not only happened with these passengers, but someone he really, really cares about. So how is he balancing, you know, the return of the woman that he loved and the whole detective aspect of, hey, what's really going on here? Where is he balancing that out at? Yeah, he's a, he's a bit lost, I'm not going to lie. Um, he's, he's, he's someone that really loves to, uh, he's got a big heart, and he wants to make sure that everyone around him is taken care of. Um, and, you know, he's put a, between a rock and a hard place, uh, needless to say. You know, he's, it, it, Michaela was his first true love, um, but it's also been five and a half years. That's a very long time. Um, and he spent a very long time um, mourning her loss. And, you know, he shared that with her best friend um, that they, you know, they, they started a really beautiful relationship and he's been happily married for three years. Again, it's three years. And now all, out of nowhere, this uh, this crazy event happens. The plane comes back and and not only is she back, but he has to work with her every single day. Um, it's, at the end of the day, it's really not his fault. He knows that it's not anyone's fault. So you know it's it, it's quite a tricky love triangle and uh it's extremely complex and and i love uh and how much like michael michael like melissa said and how much of the gray areas we have to kind of step into every day you know it's definitely not black and white and that's one of the things i love the most about the show one of the things i definitely love most about the show as a matter of fact one of the things that stood out to me when i watched it for the first time was that how one small decision can really have a huge effect on your future. And we get to see that right away, especially with the Stone family. So is that something that you think is going to continue in few future episodes? Or do you feel like that's just kind of how life can be in general? Um, both. I yeah. say we definitely get to see that in each episode. Um, each, uh, each character and the group itself is faced with a decision pretty much every episode of 
um, do this or do that. And they make a decision and it does affect one way or the other. Um, and then also in life. I mean, yeah, I think this show, it's about second chances um, and what you do with a second chance. But it kind of continues moving forward as well. Like now these characters are more aware of that of that decision changing everything that that the weight of their decisions um, is more important and they they take it more seriously. And so I think, you know, it's a good lesson for audiences as well. Yeah. So we're talking to Melissa Roxburgh and J.R. Ramirez of Manifest on NBC. Now, I'm sure you two guys get this a lot, but after I watched the show for the first time, it was literally two days before I had to take a cross-country flight. So um, <laughs> when you watch Jaws, it takes a little bit to get back in the water. So what was it like the first time you got on a plane after filming the pilot? Uh, yeah, yeah. I have, I've been lucky enough to kind of be stuck in New York for a little while um, since I shot the pilot. So I haven't, I think I only took one flight. Um, and uh, one of, here's funny because we've been laughing. One of our cast members, uh, I think it happened to you too, no? With the Bowser? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they were waiting for a flight and then um, the stewardess uh, got over there in a the and said that, you know, if anyone was uh, be willing to take a travel voucher, I, yeah, that's, that, that's something I would run in those directions. <laughs> Um, I mean, as far as turbulence and stuff goes, you always have that moment of like, you look around, you see who you're going to maybe die with and uh, <laughs> say your prayers. But um, no, I mean, you're flying, you're up in the air. It's, it's a weird situation. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be a little on edge. Yeah. Um, but I think I've been okay so far. Yeah. Now, with a show like Manifest, the overall mystery itself plays a real huge part and how the story unfolds. So without spoiling anything, how much do you already know about what's coming for your characters in the mystery as a whole, or do they kind of keep you guys in the dark a little bit as well? Well, uh, we don't know much uh, by any means, and I, I kind of, this is the first time uh, I've been a part of something that I actually love being surprised moment to moment because anything can really happen. Um, so we don't, we, we really don't know much unless, you know, we're around a showrunner and Melissa every single time is trying to, get anything she can get off him um, but he doesn't give you much jeff is a steel vault so <laughs> i've devised a plan um to catch him when he's the most tired because no. then he's the most vulnerable and yeah. he'll kind of like slip and and he he's happened once before it's very very it's she, happened once she before in dinner when he he's had a couple really of tired and i asked him a question and he gave a little spoiler but he you know he caught himself and i think he's especially on guard now so <laughs> i like that there's a plan nothing. unfolding here though i like that Right. Good luck with that. If you have any of his other suggestions, let me know, because that one I think he's on to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, speaking of suggestions, I mean, fans have already gotten to see the first act of the show and obviously some trailers that have come out as well. So how's that fan reaction been for you all? And are you already starting to see some fan theories pop up on Twitter and stuff? Yeah, of course. I mean, th- this is all pretty new for me. Um, I've been a part of um, just a few shows, and the reaction that we've had to manifest is, is different than anything that I've been a part of. Yeah. Um, in terms of before a show airs, yeah. this amount of excitement around it. So um, that excites me. I'm really proud of this show. Um, I hope other others like it um, yeah. the way that we do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, this is one of the more, most special projects I've ever had been blessed enough to be a part of. And I just, you know, like when we, when we all came together uh, throughout the pilot, we just knew we had something extremely special in our hands. So I just hope the audience 
can uh, feel the, you know, all the heart that we're pouring into it and uh, loves it as much as we love doing it. I mean, I think there's some fan theories just based on yeah. some neckies itself that yeah. it's going in the alien direction, yeah, but, yeah. you know, no promises. That's it. Well, we can't wait to find out how that unfolds when Manifest premieres Monday, September the 24th at 10 p.m. Eastern on NBC, and these two are a huge part of that. It's Melissa Roxburgh and J.R. Ramirez. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time, man. I'll tell you what, guys, I've gotten a chance to see the pilot for Manifest, and I'm telling you right now, if you think that this is just a lost clone, you could not possibly be more wrong. And you heard Melissa Roxburgh and J.R. Ramirez talk about that, as a matter of fact. You're like, hey, the comparisons are flattering. I could see how you could make that comparison, but our show is very different from that, and it really, really is. There's something so personal about this show, and there's so many cool storylines to focus on that I was locked in from start to finish, but I don't want to give too much away of what I think because I definitely want to give my review on the show next week. That way we can get a little bit spoilery and talk about a little bit of what happened on the show, but there's so much that I could spoil that I I can't possibly say any more than make sure you're checking out Manifest Monday night, September 24th. That is when the show premieres at 10 p.m. Eastern time on NBC. Check your local listings if you live in other time zones, but I'm telling you right now, this is one you're going to want to get on from the beginning. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to NBC for bringing on Melissa Roxburgh and J.R. Ramirez on the show this week. You want more interviews and even more preparations for the fall TV season? Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. That's our website. Also, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.